Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for tuning in. This is Jay Boyd. Today's guest is an old teacher of mine, my eighth grade history teacher, and now a good friend of mine, Mr. Nesbitt, or Lewis Nesbitt, if that's what you want to call him. Um, Today we're going to be discussing a lot of things, but most of it ranging from everything that's happened around CAP in the last few weeks. CAP had to work out a couple weekends ago. Um, to try to get a spot back in the NFL. So, of course, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about how it was covered from the media. And one of my favorite favorite guys on in sports journalism, Stephen A., has been a mentor to me. So we're going to talk about the way he handled it, some rights and some wrongs there, and some other media outlets and how it was handled. And then we're going to talk about how that all connects to what's going on in politics right now, um, all of the impeachment inquiry stuff with Trump and the presidential election is coming up and the flaws that we see in presidential races and politics in general in this country. So check us out. Appreciate it. So uh, today we're having a conversation about cap and Trump, right? And I think it's interesting because one of the things is cap and trade, but cap and Trump, I think is something that is worthy of talking. So Jay, uh, we, we can jump in the conversation. Uh, I, I'm glad you initiated this conversation because it needs to be spoken about specifically about Stephen A. Smith and how we black Americans and Americans in general are sort of taking this issue. And I think we're losing sight of the, like the message. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. I agree. And, and so like one thing I'm thinking about is Stephen A. Smith. Uh, so Stephen A. Smith was skewered, and I know we're about a week behind, but I, I think it was good that this is a period where everything kind of died down. And so with Stephen A. Smith specifically, many people got on him, and they called him names and so forth and so on. And calling him names, in my opinion, was out of, uh, well, out of, maybe out of pocket or out of line, depending on how, you, how proper you want to use your English. But yep. the, on the other side, he also kind of kept throwing kindling on that fire because it wasn't that people were asking for an apology. They just recognized he was, he was stomp, stumping for a specific thing that wasn't necessarily helping the cause. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, um, I listen to Stephen A. a lot, of course, trying to be, you know, like a young guy like myself trying to get into the sports journalism gig. Stephen A. has always been kind of a mentor from far away. So I listen to a lot of his stuff. I used to watch First Take every day. Of course, now I'm working, so I can't, you know, block off two hours in the middle of the morning to listen to him. But I listened to him on the radio in the in the car at work and stuff like that. And I think it was Monday after all of the cap stuff had happened last Saturday. Or it was, yeah, it was the Monday after. So uh, he was talking about it. And he had opened the phone lines up and people were calling and agreeing with him or disagreeing, whatever. And he was making this point, and it's the point that he's kind of been on and been steady on over the last couple of weeks. And he's just saying, like, he doesn't understand why somebody that wanted a job so bad and wanted this opportunity to play in the NFL again didn't show up to the job interview. And I just think that's kind of – that's an empty question because, like, you wouldn't expect somebody to show up to the job interview if the terms of the job interview were absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. A job interview with no real chance of getting the job. Like, why would you show up for that? You want it on – you don't want it on your terms. Like, of course, it's the company's terms because they're the ones giving you the opportunity. But you're not going to show up to a job interview where you feel like the terms and conditions are so binding that you may never – 
actually get what you want out of it. And, and, you know, the thing that's interesting is uh, I think either yesterday or today I saw a specific uh, – it was a Twitter post, and, it you know, social media is social media, but social media does also shed a lot of light about specific things, in my opinion. And I think that uh, – so there was a, a post, and I'm, I'm actually looking for it, so I make sure it says exactly what I uh, wanted to say. But it was something along the lines of an employer – wanted to test the resiliency or the patience of the candidates. So the, the employer told the candidates they have a meeting at 7 or 8 a.m. And so all the candidates got dressed and everything, and they were all early, early to, the, to the, the interview. And then the, the recruiter or the employer greeted them and said, okay, well, uh, I'm, I'm greeting you at the initial time that I said I would greet you, so I will be back. And then the employer didn't come back for eight hours. They didn't talk to the, the employer didn't return until eight hours later. And it was two people, two um, candidates left and he, he or she hired the, um, the candidates. And they said, that's how they can test patients. And that's how I feel that the Kaepernick situation kind of went down. Like you have all the power and you basically are saying, well, I'm giving you an opportunity. So yes, I look good, but yes, the terms that underlie this opportunity are garbage and don't necessarily benefit you because I may abuse you later. So as the, um, the potential employee, why would I stay for that? Absolutely. And I saw that post as well. Yeah, I do, I do think there are parallels there. And the thing that I think guys like Stephen A. Smith missed, because it wasn't just him. Like, I mean, he caught the heat from it because he might have been the most vocal. But, I mean, he has like 10 different platforms that he can talk about these things on. He's on camera or on a mic, like, 24-7. So, of course, he caught all of the heat because he's talking about this constantly. But um, guys like him, I feel like, missed the, the waiver. The waiver was the thing that was, like, ridiculous because the waiver basically said that under no circumstances, if Cat took part in the workout as the NFL had designated, he wouldn't be able to ever use any um, legal action against the league at any point after, like, if – things didn't go his way during the workout or if they used um, the closed workout to talk bad about him and his performance and his readiness to play in the league again, that he could never, you know, use that as a defamation lawsuit or anything like that. And that's ridiculous. Nobody would go into a meeting with their potential employer where the potential employer is asking you to sign paperwork that basically bars you from being able to use your – rights in a court of law against them like nobody's signing that and why why do people expect cap to sign that i just feel like cap kind of he stands for all of the things that like america's supposed to be about but like when it comes point for people to defend this guy they don't want to defend him because he's not the america that they know and, and another thing that i also feel in agreement in agreement with what you said is there's, there's two specific points that I felt like Stephen A. harped on that he th I feel like he thought he was going to get support on that they were sort of misguided. The first one was he talked too soon. So he, as soon as he heard about what happened with Kaepernick, he, literally, he immediately jumped on his social media. He did a video, and he, he stated an opinion about the outcome without having all the evidence. And he said, well, you know, my, my connections and this, that, and other. But if the issue was specifically the waiver – and he didn't have the waiver that Kaepernick's people had in hand, then you shouldn't 
well, I wouldn't even say shouldn't, but you should be hesitant on um, sort of planting your, your stake in the ground on something that was basically the reason for him not doing the, the workout where it was. His second point that I found very, really interesting, and, I, and he tried to play sort of the race card, and I, I don't think the race card applies here, as he says that most of the scouts that were coming were black scouts. Now, let's be for real. If, if, it's, if it's pro sports, it doesn't matter what color the scout is. If the team don't want you, they don't want you. They can send people wherever. And the biggest issue is if these teams wanted to actually recruit this man, they, what was stopping them before? If it was 28 teams that were willing to show up for that NFL um, uh, workout, what, where were they before to, offer, to, to ask him or invite him for a workout? So that, I, I just feel like using the, oh, the black scouts were coming. That don't mean anything. I think both of those points are really fair, especially the first one. If you're a journalist, your job is always to report the facts as they come in. You shouldn't be, like, spending – like, he did. Like, that night, that Saturday of the workout, that Saturday night, he posted the video on his Twitter, like, a three-minute rant about, like, how Cap had, you know, let himself down in a way. Like, because he didn't sign his paperwork, and that wasn't even – I don't even remember that being public information at that point. So that was just bad journalism. And then the second point is really fair as well. And, and the thing is, I felt like he was like, well, because then he, he tried to sort of spin it like he he lost the trust of black people because then there was the false narrative of Jay-Z was disappointed. And then Stephen A. said something else that was a little concerning as well. As he said, well, why didn't the Kaepernick people – uh, inform the NFL or the team sooner. And then you find out that the location where they had the workout at the high school was going towards the airport, which means all of the teams had to go that way anyways. And so he says, well, 28 teams or 25 or whatever, 20 plus teams come and, you know, you didn't give them any notice. But the question is, is I think six to eight teams showed up. So clearly yeah. they, th there was some kind of notice they knew. So I, I think that's yeah. also a load of garbage because, if, if it was too little notice, why would teams still show up? Yeah, the scouts' point is really fair. Those scouts are – I mean, they get paid to scout, and they find kids literally everywhere. I, I went to App State, and there were like 20 scouts at App State's pro day. Like, that shows you right there that if they want to find a kid, they will find that kid, and they will get to him. If they think there's NFL talent across this country, they get to him no matter what. And on a Saturday, like, if the scouts that they sent couldn't have been – that was kind of the point that people made before. They couldn't have been high-level scouts because if you're a high-level scout, usually you're not out on a Saturday before a game day on a Sunday doing scouting. So it was a weird request or a suspect request maybe that the NFL made and then only giving them two or three hours to confirm whether he was going to be able to make it i mean like what if he had a prior obligation you guys don't control his life like you know they could have used all of those things to him if he would have said it, uh, against him if he would have said no but you know he showed up and he showed that he could still play in this league and the eight scouts that were there i feel like those are the only eight teams that ever could be like well we gave him an opportunity if you know somebody chooses to say that which they will in like two weeks Right. And so then the next thing, and I, I think that the, there's a big false narrative about uh, armchair quarterbacks specifically saying, well, cap is not good. And these stats and that stats. And I'm really like shaking my head. I, I mean, I can play sports and I think I understand 
uh, talent when I see it. But let's not pretend like I know if that better than a scout or an actual performer or uh, professional athlete the quality of a player. So all these these armchair quarterbacks that say, well, Cap is not good anymore and this, that, and other. And I'm just sitting here like, are we serious? Are we really – are we as laymen trying to say this man who clearly – has shown he's played at the pinnacle, uh, 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 not only performing, but at the pinnacle league to say this guy is not good enough anymore. Looking at some of the quarterbacks out there that look like literally somebody just pulled them from the being the, basically the Kurt Warner from the grocery store, grocery bagger line to do what they're doing. Like, I just think that's crazy. It's pretty bad. And the stats that they always use to like throw cap away is there's like two – there's two stats that they usually throw out. They say he lost his job to Blaine Gabbert. He didn't lose his job to Blaine Gabbert. Blaine Gabbert was injured. And that was one of the points that Stephen A. made in the video that he posted after the workout. And Stephen A. is not an idiot, and he has access to the Internet. So he can look these things up and figure these things out for himself. He has to stop using these points that other people have, prior, have made in the, in the past. He didn't lose his job to Blaine Gabbert. Blaine Gabbert, he got hurt. Blaine Gabbert was thrown in. Blaine Gabbert was terrible. And when Cap was healed and came back, he started the next game instantly. And then they always say, like, he was one and six in his last seven starts. And they had, like, the worst drop rate in the league, the one of the worst defenses in the league. And they had gutted the entire roster, the defense that they had had when they were making the NFC Championship runs and the Super Bowl run was completely gone. Patrick Willis had retired. Navarro Bowman wasn't there anymore. Alden Smith had gotten in so much trouble, they had given up on him. Guys like Antoine Buffet and Eric Reed were gone. Like, it was – the entire roster was gutted of the talent that was there previously. So, it was insane that they were putting all of these marks on him and, you know, basically saying that he let his team down and wasn't playing to his potential when he was like 16-4, and four, touchdown to interception ratio in that same span of time. And and the thing, so just kind of moving to the next point, uh, is Eric Reed, right? And I, I'm I'm not and see, I want to be clear, like I I'm very super uh middle of the road. I want to see all information. So uh the Kaepernick thing, I'm not saying I sp- support or I'm against anything that he's done. What I'm saying is that the narrative that they created for this workout is largely false and people are allowing emotions to get into it. And this is where I think Eric Reed comes into play because I think Eric Reed is a good football player. Now, Eric Reed, in my opinion, is it takes very militant stances and he sort of has this position of it's either you're with me or you're against me. And I think that's a, a slippery slope to be on because he called, when he calls Stephen A, Stephen a out, I, I wasn't completely co-signing that because – Eric missed some points, especially since and Stephen A. called him out for it. Eric Reed is on the NFL team, and he had to go through some things to get on the NFL team. And Eric Reed was not put to the same sort of a litmus test that Colin Kaepernick was put on. One, because he was dealing with a brand new owner in the NFL who kind of, you know, has this, his own spirit down in Carolina. So I just look at that, and I'm like, Eric Reed came at him, and he kind of called him out and – and, but he's receiving an NFL check. So you can't say, well, you know, you support the man while receiving a check from the man. It's sort of hypocritical. T.O., when, when he said Max Kellerman was more black than, uh, than uh, Stephen A. And then kind of come back quickly and said, oh, I'm joking. That for black people, you can't make that joke. And T.O. knows better Absolutely than that. Absolutely not. So, so I think that was, he was out of pocket for that. 
And the thing is, then you have black people saying, oh, Max is invited to the cookout. First of all, Max Kellerman has always had that sort of stance publicly. This is why people often say, well, he can't talk about sports because he normally takes a philosophical approach to sports as opposed to, you know, sort of the black and white, what I see in the moment kind of thing. And so I thought Max was legitimate. And then Howard Bryant just coming in with evidence and evidence and evidence. And it just so there was people who were coming at uh, Stephen A, who Stephen A fought because he just kind of wanted to be right. And then there was people who, come, who were coming at Stephen A who didn't want to give Stephen A the benefit of what Stephen A was trying to do. Because Stephen A really was trying to support Cap, but he, he did it in such a way that it was difficult for, if we're going to use race, people who support Cap found it uh, a challenge to go all the way with him. Yeah, Theo, I, I don't know if that was Stephen A's best move to bring T.O. on uh, first take because, you know, just with T.O.'s history, even if he's right in some of the points that he made, which I agree with some of the stuff that he was saying, you know there's eventually going to be a moment where those debates get emotional, and T.O. has never been one to throw his emotions away in the moment. He always uses them. And so I just don't feel like that platform is good for him and T.O. to be having that argument because – Stephen A is a very passionate talker, and so is T.O. and a very emotional man. So that moment might not have been the best moment or forum for them to come together. But, yeah, the, the, that comment about Black uh, uh, Max Kellerman seeming more Black than Stephen A, that was just off-key. He got to leave that at the crib. And, and that, But, see, that's the thing where I, I just look at the, the Black divided sort of mentality. There, it feels like there is a definition that people want to have on what you should and should not support being a black person. This is the reason why in political parties, Democrats can behave the way they want to with black people because their, their basic mantra is we support you. Which, I mean, if we look at public rhetoric, yes, you can say Democrats do more things verbally to support minorities. Not specifically blacks, but blacks are basically the largest or the second largest minority. And this is where I just, I get confused with people under skewing politics and money, because that's the other thing that they're missing on that too. Colin Kaepernick is being skewed with his money because Colin Kaepernick is good. People like to say, Oh, he's unemployed. The man is a millionaire. You don't need to work. <laughs> and second, yes, he does want to, he wants to play in the NFL. Yeah, he does, but he's not going to be, you know, he's not going to bend over and take it from how, them however they want just because he wants to play. Like, you know, I mean, that's like, you know, a, a person wants to work at a, any job and that person says, okay, well, you have to do whatever I tell you and I'm not going to tell you everything I want you to do. Do you agree? No person says yes to that. <laughs> I know. That's why I always say I feel like Cat kind of stands for, like, the morals of this country that we put on paper throughout the years, like, all men are created equal and, you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness and all that stuff. Because Cap just wants to play the game that he worked his entire life to get to. Like, he got to the pinnacle. He got to the Super Bowl. And nobody, no, not one person I have heard has ever said that Cap got outplayed in that Super Bowl by Joe Flacco. His team lost, but not one person has said that he got outplayed by Joe Flacco in that Super Bowl. They were mounting a ridiculous comeback. And they are one they were one catch away from, from going home with the trophy that night. Cap has done everything that somebody would want to do in this league other than lift that trophy. 
So to say that he's just not even worthy of that workout or worthy of an opportunity to play in this league because he took a, a stand, you know, for what he felt to be injustice is, is kind of mind-boggling to me because I feel like that's what everybody would say would be the right thing to do if we just put that situation on paper and didn't put, like, names to it. But when it comes to Cap, as soon as, you know, people hear Colin Kaepernick, they throw all that stuff out of the window and it goes straight emotional. And the thing that I think is interesting is that, okay, so basically Cap is trying to say, you know, it's time to protect the people. And I, and the thing about it is, is that, you know, even though, you know, there's the Black Lives Matter and so forth, Colin Kaepernick is really just talking. He, he literally was like, hey, police brutality. That's the, the issue that he's focused on, that he's saying, hey, the executives, uh, the police, the, 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 the police of power are abusing their power they need to be put in check. And yes, I mean, some of the stuff he's done is off color where the, the power structure finds it difficult to support him because they feel like he's not controllable in a sense. So for instance, when he wore like the pig cop socks or where he wore the Kunta Kinte shirt, I understand those things are off color. In my opinion, you know what? It, yeah, you probably shouldn't have done it, but I'm not going to tell you not to do it. In the same breath, that you're looking at it, it's, it's a matter of what is the way, what is the correct way to protest the power structure? Because the thing is, if we go back in history, Martin Luther King protested the power structure and he had support with the, I have a dream speech because that was basically propped up by the, the, the government that was in place, Lyndon Johnson, et cetera, et cetera. When, the, when Martin Luther King moved, to the poor people's march and focused on income inequality and classism is when all of a sudden people couldn't they all oh, we he lost all his power we don't care about him he's irrelevant because at that point they felt and they understood that he was not a controllable asset anymore and i feel like that's their issue with colin kaepernick i think those are yeah i think those are both true it's kind of like the revisionist history point and the uh hindsight is 2020 like both of those points kind of go hand in hand for me. I just feel like guys like MLK and guys like Muhammad Ali, like they did, they kind of set the platform up for things to go the way this cap situation is going, where like people hate it in the moment, people dislike it, they call guys names, they get very emotional in the moment. But 20, 30, 40 years from now, or whenever those guys are, you know, gone, they'll be looked at as heroes. And I think that's why Colin Kaepernick kind of gets that um, comparison to Muhammad Ali a lot because everybody always talks about just Muhammad being a great athlete and a great man now. But, man, that that Vietnam stuff, like, if you go back and watch, like, some of that – I mean, obviously I wasn't alive during that time. But if you can go back and, like, read up on some of that stuff. And there was a guy um, that contacted me um, through my newspaper job and told me that he was at App State in 69 when App State got uh, Muhammad Ali to come speak um, at one of their forums. And um, he sent me the article, you know, that they had wrote up about it and how controversial it was in the moment and how students and residents of Boone alike were very upset that they were doing that. But, you know, if, if Muhammad Ali was still alive and that opportunity was given, People in Boone would be dying for Muhammad Ali to come there because that revisionist history and that looking back on him as being a great man that stood up for something is puts him in a great place in history. But 
I feel like it'll be a while before Colin gets that honor. And, and, you know, the thing about it is, is that also there's a corporate power structure that's in place that I think causes an issue. So, for example, Colin Kaepernick has uh, uh, a contract with Nike. And so after basically through every when Colin Kaepernick, quote unquote, speaks because he doesn't speak often publicly. But when he does speak, it's through some sort of a planned or uh, scripted sort of manner, which is fine. But. The thing about it is, is that he, he does have to be aware that there's sort of a corporate entity power structure that's there. And so you have Nike there who, after Colin Kaepernick does X, Y, and Z, they release a t-shirt or a shoe line. And so there's a, there's a legitimate question of saying, you know, well, is he doing this for corporate gain? And it's so it's possible, but at the same time, he has been disallowed from doing the thing, his, the thing that he did for earning money for his, his living. So I can't necessarily knock him for saying, okay, well, I'm going to do with this deal with Nike, but in the same breath, I'm like, well, you know, Colin got, has to be aware of that, you know? Yeah. I think there's a lot of that on both sides for sure. Like Colin's being connected with the, the money hungry NFL and Nike and, you know, some other corporations, of course, is, you know, kind of makes you raise your eyebrows and ask a few questions. But, I mean, none of us are turning down an opportunity to play the game we love and then become connected to the company that basically feeds feeds the the beast in a way for the sports market. I mean, Nike's the biggest name connected to any any sport. So it's an, that's an incredible partnership, and that allows him to expand his platform anymore. So I think it's kind of hard to – I mean, it, while it's easy to sit back and say, like, hey, that's kind of questionable, why is he could, trying to be connected to all of these corporations that do all of this crazy stuff? But it'd be hard to say no if Nike was to come knock on my door. So I can't knock him for that. And so that's where I also I understand what the Stephen A. Smith perspective, so to speak. Because people are like, oh, Stephen A. got that contract, and, you know, he forgot because money is in his eyes. I've never, I, I've not met one person on the planet. If you're making a great salary, you all, and, and you understand that there's a perspective where, you know, you could probably get what you want to accomplish without burning a bridge, then why wouldn't you do that? And I, I look at that. So for Stephen A, d- does he have something at, at risk if he, he comes at, at the NFL or ESPN or whatever in a, in a certain kind of way? He maybe. I mean, he just signed a contract, so I don't think he would lose anything, and he's basically their draw. But in the same breath, you know, I, I think that there's there's still it's worthy to understand. Like these people can't fathom what an eight million dollar a year contract is. You know what I mean? Like no one can understand that the layman. So like to, to yeah, call him sure. out for that. Like how are you gonna call him out for that? You don't know what it's like to make eight million a year. No, not at all. Stephen A's. Paving the way, like I said in in the open, uh, Stephen A's paving the way for guys like me. I mean, he he always talks about how he started off as a high school reporter and finally made his way to college reporting, and you know made it to a columnist and all this stuff. Like he had to grind his way up. You know, he's doing he's doing what a lot of guys in this industry are doing right now. So you won't ever hear me say a bad word about Stephen A. And man, if somebody offers me eight million tomorrow, I'm definitely not saying no. So I can't blame him for that. People who go to work every day and work for companies that they don't 100% believe in, you know, 
maybe the morals or the the ideals of the company, but you know, if they're paying your bills, you gotta do what you gotta do sometimes. Man, let's be honest. There's people who go to work every day and hate the the company they work for. <laughs> and and absolutely we'll, and, and we'll cape for that company hardcore if anyone tries to talk about the company. So I mean I I just feel like people are being a little hypocritical about that. But at Stephen A the, my my biggest qualms with Stephen A was I think he talked too soon. And then he tried to make sort of a an equivalency with race that was kind of an unnecessary racial thing that with, with the black scouts. It just felt like he missed missed the boat on that one. But uh I, I wanted yeah, to that's like kind of where I was. I, I wanted to ask you about like the NFL is a monopoly, right? Basically, it's an oligopoly. It's it's they can pick and choose who joined. It's or even I, I hate to use the word cartel because functionally, definition-wise, it's also a cartel, but people don't like it because they associate it with drugs, right? And so most of yep. the owners and are, are, are billionaires or they're a part of billionaire ownership groups. And they're, they're huge supporters of the current president. And it's interesting because you, you mentioned something about hindsight being 2020, and 2020 is right there. I remember in 2016, I, I told most of my friends and family that Donald Trump was going to win in July. And they told me I was crazy. I'm saying again to those same friends and family, based on the current climate that exists, Donald Trump will win the uh, 2020 election. Is that what I want? No, I'm not going to pretend like I, I want him to be president, but I, I, the election is the election. Now I say that because right now we're dealing with an impeachment thing that I think is really, really, really strange because in my opinion, the defense that people are making for him is what he did was not impeachable instead of saying, but no one is asking them, the defenders is what he did a crime because there's a difference, right? Because you can say, well, this is not impeachable, but you could have committed a crime. And then the back end about this, and this is where my, my mind is really swirling about this whole thing, is impeachment means that you're formally charged. That means basically a grand jury looked at the evidence and said, is enough evidence for you to be charged with a crime? So when people are talking about, oh, well, it's not fair, we don't get to call witnesses. Well, number one, this is not a trial, it's a grand jury testimony. So it's basically the, the power structure making a decision if you should be charged. But second, the fact that the defense is not that he didn't do anything, but well, what it, it, what he did was not impeachable. But that's not making that's not making excusable. So I'm just confused on why people are coming at it that way. What, what do you think about that? It's incredible what people are willing to ignore when they like somebody. That's just that's the beginning and end of pretty much both of the conversations that we're having right now. It is incredible what people are willing to excuse if they are on the side of the guy doing the dirt, if you want to call it that. Donald is pretty much in the exact same position that the people who were against Hillary had Hillary in in 2016. And I've never been a massive Hillary fan because I feel like there are some skeletons in her closet too. She's not, she doesn't get out of this without, you know, without having to answer some of the questions that they were wanting her to answer. And some of that Benghazi stuff was super scary because, like, we're basically we're having a debate. Well, did she give our information to foreign operatives? Did she not give our information to foreign operatives? And now we're having the exact same conversation with the guy that they were supporting all while that stuff was going on during the 2016 election. 
and it shows you just how hypocritical everybody is um, when it comes to people that they like and how much they're willing to excuse because it is incredible how long of a leash that they are willing to give a man who basically they're saying has been dealing with multiple governments and giving them information about this one all the while. It's incredible. And, and it's interesting because I'm, I'm going to go ahead and be honest. I'm not a Hillary supporter at all. I, I, don't, I think, I, think she, I, I wouldn't have voted for her. I don't think she would have made a good president. I, that's just my opinion. She literally is riding the wave of, hey, a minority person was able to benefit and a black dude was the president, and the way affirmative action and is actually structured in the United States, affirmative action is actually meant to benefit white women. They don't, they don't like to talk about that, but it helps white women. So she's like, well, it's my turn. I let the black man be president. I'm a white woman. It's my turn to be president. So you won't catch me caper for Hillary Clinton at all. And when people say lock her up, yeah, throw her in jail. I don't care. When they talk about, well, Joe Biden helped get his son a job and et cetera, et cetera. Nepotism is everywhere. So I don't want to hear any of that from anybody who, in the political elites. But if Joe Biden did hey, something, she gotta through, get it. right. If Joe Biden did something, throw him in jail too. I, like, see, I'm not yeah, saying gotta go I, I ain't support none of them. I actually think there should be term limits and we should get the old fogies out of there. There are plenty of old fogies that are quality, quality lawmakers. But if they're really, really quality lawmakers and more importantly, leaders, then they have trained people to replace them. And that means they need to go. And we live in a country with 50 states, and every state has a Congress. And so you're telling me that every state can't replace the, the two to 55 representatives they have in their local state government into the federal government? And they don't know how to govern or, 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 or use politics or get things for their constituents? That's a load of crap. That's the, like the epitome of classism. That's basically the House of Lords that we just run in the United States, but we you use it at, but you use an electoral system to say that should be there. So again, if Donald Trump did something, hey man, he need to be charged. If Hillary Clinton did something, they need to be charged. If, if Joe Biden did something, charge him. I, I don't care about political party. I want people to, to do what's best for the country, period. I agree. You did, I, I, that was amen on all of that. I was, I didn't vote for Hillary last election. I'll go ahead and be honest. I voted third party and people were telling me like, that's throwing your vote away. That's throwing your vote away. I'm like, no, it's not throwing your vote away. Your voice is in your vote. That's what you get. That's the way you get to give your voice every four years. So you need to use that in the best way that you know how. And I didn't believe in Hillary and I definitely didn't believe in Donald. So I was like, you know what? Hey, I'll throw it to the third guy. He probably won't win. He most likely won't win. But at least then it'll be clear that I didn't believe in the top two guys. I'm not just going to give somebody my vote just because, oh, well, they're the lesser of two evils. Like, no, that's the problem with the political system in the, in the first place is that we're up there in these voting places and polling places just choosing, well, this guy's less bad than this guy. Well, if they're both bad, let's go both away. And let's get somebody better. I think that's kind of part of the trouble that's going on right now with like this 2020 election is that it started off with so many guys. And let's be honest. Normal Americans, everyday Americans, are not looking up or doing the research that's necessary to make an actual informed vote on anybody that's not the president. Because the only way that they get the research on the president is because it's on the nightly news every night, and they watch that, and so that's where they get their information from. Not taking into account that maybe that nightly news is skewed in one direction or the other, so you're not even getting the real information on who these presidential candidates are. So when there's 20 Democratic candidates, and the 
at the beginning of the fall or, you know, at the end of the summer, then no, none of these um, national outlets are able to give accurate information to a, on a wide scope on these presidential candidates. And then we just start throwing some away. And now we're down uh, single digits again. And it actually seems like it, it might be a decent contest. And we still don't know. People still don't know who they're going to vote for because there's so many of them and they only differ in like certain categories. So by the time we get through the primaries and we get down, it's probably going to be two people that you don't, you don't necessarily love. And then we're in the same position we were in 2016 and we're in trouble again. And, and you know, the thing in, in my, my reasoning and my rationale, why Donald Trump is going to win is I'm just using black and white statistics. The, the numbers say roughly 93 to 94% of incumbents win reelection. One, because they have stores of money that they had from previous elections and they have the incumbent privilege. So they have the bully pulpit there. And in, in, in the history of presidential elections in the, in, in our lifetime, because I wasn't alive for Vietnam either in our lifetime, there's been only one president who was an incumbent that didn't get reelected. And that's George HW Bush. Every other president, every other president has been reelected uh, outside. And we'd have to go back before that. The only the presidents who didn't get reelected, Jimmy Carter, but, but that's because there was the, um, a, a war issue that was happening in, in Iran. And before that, Gerald Ford, but, but he got replaced. He replaced a, a, a person who was about to be impeached. And John Kennedy, obviously, because he was assassinated. And so when we look at history, it's seldom that a president doesn't get reelected. So number one, that's my first reason why Donald Trump will get reelected. But number two, and it's basically what you said, politi politics nationally is a high school popularity contest. Whose name do I know when I walk in that voting booth? That's it. And so if you know Donald Trump's name, you're either you're making a decision. Am I voting for him or am I voting against him? And but that's the only name in your head. And Hillary Clinton did that when she was running for president. She talked about Donald Trump all the time. A true candidate will want the other candidate to talk about them all the time. So whoever the Democratic nominee happens to become, who, who, whoever they become or whoever it is, if they can get Donald Trump to talk about them all the time and they talk about themselves, then I'll give them a fair shot. Because then you can shift the narrative of who, whose name is on your lips. Because that's all politics is. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. That's all it is, is a popularity contest is name recognition and, and who has the most money to throw up so they can get these advertisements so they can get more name recognition. And it's wild that that's what it comes down to, to who should be running this country for four years. But that's where we are every four years, trying to make a decision on whose name we recognize and who can do the most for us because they already have the most power because of class. And then we live by the big lie, because here's the big lie that happens. Elizabeth Warren is my example. Bernie Sanders is another example. Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders are both seen as super far left and socialist. And they're saying they're proposing plans to cancel student loans or take uh, tax the rich super high. Here's the part that no one is listening to. You can be the president. You can have those ideas. You need a Congress to actually help you get that in, uh, in place. And it showed when Obama was elected in 2008 with his hope and change thing, he got a Congress, and it was still hard for him to pass the, Ameri the ACA, or what was called Obamacare, which he later embraced because he was like, screw it, it's going to be on me. It's still 
took forever to get that embrace because those congressional leaders and those congressional seats are up every two years. So those people are scared about losing their seats. So any president that says, oh, well, I'm going to get rid of student loans. Well, are you going to have a Congress with you that's going to help you get rid of the student loans? Because I know you're not. So stop lying. Or, oh, we're going we're gonna to tax the rich so-and-so. Nah, that's not going to happen either because Congress is not going to raise taxes on rich people because then they don't get reelected. So anybody who believes that <laughs> and they garbage, are the rich people, right? So so any anybody who believes that garbage that these presidential people say is stupid. Now, in my opinion, and I, I think stupid is a hard word, but that's what I'm going to use for the moment. Anybody who's also worth their salt as a presidential candidate would not only get their opponent to talk about them more, and they would talk about themselves. They would champion people that are going to be congressional leaders so they can have them on their side. So they see they appear as a united front. So if I'm running for president, I would be like, hey, you know, even though I didn't want Nancy Pelosi to be the speaker of the house, I'm being honest about that. I think she's been in Congress for 30 plus years. She got I think she should have gotta been go. That's my opinion. But anyways, if I'm if I'm running for president, what the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to make the pre my opponent talk about me. Period. I'm going to be the name on everyone's lips. Second, I'm going to talk about me because that's how I make sure I show I'm important and other people see I'm important. But the third step I would do is I would find out, okay, who are the projected congressional leaders of this Congress that I'm going to lead as the executive? And everywhere I go, I'm going to make sure they're with me and I'm going to talk about them getting reelected. Because if I do that and I champion that with them, then anything I say politically will actually happen and it won't sound like a crock of garbage and so but no one does that because they, it's a, a look at me show and so I, I just think that's the biggest thing in politics that's the problem and i also think political parties are garbage too but i <laughs> i'll let you go ahead and answer on that oh i'm with you 100 percent. term limits are a big thing for me i've been screaming that for as long as I knew anything decent about politics. It's ridiculous that we got like 75-year-old dudes. Literally, their generation has are in wheelchairs, and they're in here making decisions for dudes that look that are like around our age range, like 25 to 40 or so. Like, this is just ridiculous. Gotta get rid of these old guys. Gotta get them out of here. They're stuck in their ways. They already made their money, made their political gang, trying to make make some more political gain and mess everything up for everybody else, they got to sit down somewhere. And I, I shifted back to Cap. So when Colin Kaepernick is the representation that he is, where he's saying, look, we have to let the, the establishment know, the, the enforcers of the law, that the way you're enforcing the law makes it difficult for us to respect the way you enforce the law. It also causes us to question the law that you're enforcing so what we're asking you to do is have a conversation with us now the way Kaepernick is doing it is way more blunt than than, than they would like he's like basically or maybe the equivalent Alexandria Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is like the, the political version of Colin Kaepernick in my my opinion yeah I think I think what he's asking is pretty fundamental that we just want to be that people just want to be respected and not um, not belittled by the people that are supposed to be protecting them. I think that's a pretty fundamental right in this country and, you know, something that everybody would agree on, but it's, it's hard to make that agreement when it's coming from a guy that doesn't look like you, doesn't sound like you, and doesn't put it in the terms that you would like it to be said in. But, I mean, it's pretty simple. And I think it matters also in – 
I, I don't want to talk about like black ownership, but I think that does matter if you have someone who has a, a degree of understanding or history about the person who's complaining. So then you can have maybe some empathy. For instance, when I was a teacher and I dealt with students, I was, I, I seldom was a yell and scream guy. I was seldom an immediate punishment kind of person or immediate consequence person. I always wanted to talk to the students because they're adults in my mind. And I knew at some point they would be my contemporaries. So if I decided to treat them with respect, then they could always come back to them and we could always actually come to a negotiation where they understand what I'm doing. So I feel like if there was a more diverse group of owners in the NFL, which I'm not asking them to change who they are, but if there was more diversity in the ownership of NFL teams, I think this would be less of an issue as well. What do you think about that? Yeah, absolutely. Those are executives in those front offices. They don't look like cap. They don't sound like cap. I think there's always going to be kind of a gap there and in that position because it's always going to be it's always going to be a difference between the look and the feel of the guys that play the ball and the guys that run the front office. So it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard to get those guys to agree on something and make a final point or to come together. But to make my final point, I'm, I just need those guys to make a decision. And it's really not that hard to, to understand that a guy doesn't want to be belittled by the people who are enforcing the law and then possibly they say this is a political thing, but to be gunned down in the street because he doesn't look like us. And so what's your opinion? What do you think is going to happen in a resolution to this Colin Kaepernick thing? Because someone else made this point, too. They said, you know, this Colin Kaepernick thing had kind of died. And then the NFL brought it back up with this workout. And no one is understanding why they brought it back up. Because if you think about it, no one was really clamoring real hard about the Colin Kaepernick situation. And then this news broke that they were going to give him a workout. And then all of a sudden, all these things and stipulations came. And they basically stipulations that I feel like they probably knew he wouldn't acquiesce to. And now you have this where now it's all back in the front of our faces again. And so, so what do you think is going to be sort of the end-all, be-all with this Kaepernick thing? I think this is kind of where it ends. I don't think he'll get a chance to play in the league, as sad as that is, because he has clearly has talent. And that would be a fantastic platform for him to be able to continue to move some of these policies and um, ideals forward, but I don't think they'll ever give him a shot to play in the league because, like you said, those owners don't look like him. They don't sound like him. They don't come from the same community as him. So it's hard to, for them to understand the points that he's making or to to see him on the even field as them because they're just not they're not they're not equals financially. So it's kind of hard for guys that have made their names and kind of done everything that they've done in their life based on class to see themselves as equal with a guy that doesn't look like them and isn't on the same financial status as, as they are. And, and so I just think, I think it just leads itself to uh, a greater level of classism that I, I, I find it hard to see it ever go away in the United States, not because it shouldn't or it should, but because I think at the inherently humans, I think want and embrace classism because it's, it's a way to find significance of an importance of who they are. And I think it hurts my feelings, but I think that that is an issue that I don't think we'll ever overcome. 
Yeah, I think it just makes it pretty black and white, and it's kind of almost statistical in a way because it's easy to be like, oh, well, these people deserve more because they have more. That's just this just makes it pretty easy for people to make livelihood black and white. And for me, it's interesting because uh, I, I I I don't know if I told you this, but I, I I've thought it for plenty of times when. When I've been podcasting recently, my, my whole goal is to sort of build an audience and have people understand sort of the diversity that I'm willing and able to articulate myself about. But uh, I wanted to talk politics. I love politics. I follow a lot of it on uh, uh, social media, but I tend to also look for full sources. And uh, I know both sides, Democrats and Republicans, like to create the news so it benefits them and it, it hurts the American people. But I'm glad that I had this conversation with you because it was it, I, I support the power that you took upon yourself to initiate this because this Colin Kaepernick situation is one that it does apply to everyone. This this is the everyday working man, if a working person, sh sh to, to be more correct, has to understand that your job could do this to you one day. They can pigeonhole you. They can blackball you for you standing up for something you believe in but are you willing to stand up for what you believe in? And if you are standing up for it, are you going to stand up in a way where you have, you, you, you've thought it out and you're willing to accept the consequences of what happened? So I agree. I think this Colin Kaepernick thing is over. Uh, I don't think he ever plays in the NFL again. Uh, I think he, he lets it die. And I think it only comes back if the NFL uh, actually wants to make it an issue where I feel like they think they probably can win or make themselves look better and liked. So I'm, I'm going to leave that as my final word. And whatever you have as a final word, I, I, I'm looking forward to hearing it. Yeah, I think the only the only possible next step that I see coming out of anything is a um, possible lawsuit. If he decides to move in that way, I think that was kind of – I think that's kind of what this lends itself to because it, the blackballing has been so obvious and now this – this next step with the workout and how it all went down and how they tried to feed him that waiver and stuff, I kind of feel like that lends itself to another lawsuit. So I feel like that's the only way that this could really end because I don't think he'll ever go another, another path in the league again.